0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Happy Tuesday, everybody. Well, happy Tuesday for some people. Some of the firings in the NFL have already begun. Others left flapping in the wind as rumors, reports, conversations begin ahead of the Thanksgiving weekend where we know so many decisions are made around coaches of struggling teams in the NFL. It's a good night for Courtney Cronin. She's in for Jason Fitz. We'll talk some Vikings surging play. We'll get into the CFP rankings. Fitz will join us later to talk about that. But we're going to start with Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless here on Spain & Fitz. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, presented by Progressive Insurance. And the Giants lay an egg, national television, everybody watching, and the first one to go, Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett fired, and I guess... Not really a surprise the way the offense has looked, Courtney. 20th in yards per carry under Garrett, 28th in yards per pass attempt, 28th in yards per play, 30th in points scored. In fact, they never once scored 30 points as an offense during Garrett's 26 games as offensive coordinator. I don't know if you're going to put up much of a fight on his firing, but you're welcome to. Do that or tell me it's not enough and someone else needs to be going to.
2: Oh, this is the tip of the iceberg, Sarah. I think that we're very close to the end. Certainly, I didn't. I thought uh, Dave Gettleman, the general manager, would have been the first out in New York. He's eighteen and forty since he took over the roster prior to the 18, 2018 season since he was hired and has made a handful of very dumb decisions. And beyond that, Joe Judge is on thin ice. The Daniel Jones era hangs in the balance here, and this was a pivotal year for them, and now they're at a 3-7 and seven record with another lost season. So you can point the finger a lot of different places here. Jason Garrett's the first one to go. He will not be the last in New York.
1: Yeah, it feels like it is the tip of the iceberg. In fact, you mentioned Dave Gettleman. I think uh, we'll have a little fun with him on this show. With the We're building, uh, but they've been building for a long time, and there seems to be no structure in place. I don't know what they've been building, but it certainly isn't a successful football team. He feels like his tenure is done. Joe Judge not getting any credit from anyone on on. on positive signs that can point to any progress in fact going backwards and Chris Canty on Canty and Golik Jr. is wondering why he wasn't
3: the first to go what I don't understand Gojo, is why everybody else is giving Joe Judge a pass when he's accomplished absolutely nothing for this team there has been nothing that Joe Judge has done or shown us to tell us that he deserves to be the head coach for the New York Giants beyond this season what has he done what has he won nothing and there are no signs that this team is trending in the right direction. Last year, a lot of people wanted to run that garbage about the team having a great second half where they went 5-3 and three in their final eight after starting off the season 1-7. and seven. The thought was they're going to build off of that. They're buying into Joe Judge. Logan Ryan, preseason, said, oh, man, we've got a team that can win. Ownership gave us a shot because they spent so much money in free agency. They bought in Kenny Galladay. They bought in Adoree Jackson. Like they they went out and got all of these pieces to help us be able to do high level winning, and what do we see? The Giants probably playing irrelevant football after Thanksgiving. We're building.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Joe Judge, Garrett, Gettleman, all out in your mind, Courtney. Start fresh, clean slate.
2: I think they're going to have to. And it's a team, a franchise that's been in a perennial rebuild mode since the early 2010s after, you know, ever since their last Super Bowl. Um, And the funny thing is with Joe Judge, you hired a special teams coordinator, somebody who knows situational football. That's what you thrive on. Yet they are one of the worst teams at situational football, at having discipline, at special teams. They're middle of the pack. None of this is cutting it, and I think that a lot of this is going to have to boil down to the head coach is going to no longer be able to escape some of these, you know, the scapegoats. And he said he wasn't going to use Jason Garrett as a scapegoat. That's exactly what this is. It's offloading one piece before another, before he's... And he, before he ends up at the end of the season, probably out of a job. And I think, okay. you know, when it comes down to it, this was such a pivotal year for Daniel Jones. Like you can kind of write off 2020 as a COVID year, and they're six and ten, and yeah, they kind of have won a couple games there at the end. Whatever. You're not going to pick up Daniel Jones's fifth year option. You're going to be on the search for another quarterback with a quarterback class that's not very good coming up in 2022 draft and where do you get from that you have a bunch of free agents a bunch of expensive free agents that you just signed it got you nowhere
1: yeah there are people mike tannenbaum among them saying it's maybe time for them to move on from daniel jones too and again you hate to just start fresh over and over and over again But there isn't a lot that we've seen that makes it clear that if you give him a better coach and everything else that he's necessarily the guy. So something to think about for the Giants as well. In the meantime, Jason Garrett we know is out. Matt Nagy, no one's really sure. There was a report this morning that came from a respected reporter in terms of his history uh, accolades, but maybe not the outlet that we would normally be used to seeing a story from. And it said that Matt Nagy had been told his final game would be this Thursday against the Lions on Thanksgiving, and then he would be out which resulted in a situation that uh, really wasn't fair. First, special teams coach comes out and, and has to be the first to face questions about it today. Then Matt Nagy has to come out and address his own potential firing and job precariousness. Instead of the PR uh, person, a uh, GM, anybody from the Bears taking the brunt of it by coming out to say, in advance of all the press availability, this story isn't true. Instead, this is what it sounded like as Matt Nagy tried to navigate a number of answers to questions, the first of which was, are you are you out after Thursday?
4: That is not accurate. You know, I have not, um, you know, I have great communication with ownership, with George and Ted and, and Ryan, but... Uh I have not had any discussions. We have not talked um, this week, and that's that was scheduled. My focus right now is on these players and on Detroit. That's it. I've been very honest throughout the years, and and I just I think that that's important when anybody in, in any type of role as a leader as a head coach, you have to be able to uh, to understand that when you um, are a leader or a head coach in any sport, whatever level, um, you you want to do everything you can to, to help the team win. So that's that's my job, and um, but at the same point in time you got to go day-to-day. I understand the, the, the media world and the social media world, I should say, in general, and I understand that that's a, that goes on as we're going on inside the building. But our job is to focus on day-to-day and winning this game on Thursday, and that's it.
1: Oof. It's, it's embarrassing, Courtney, and, and as someone said today, it's wild when the team that is uh, less stable and more embarrassing heading into the matchup Thursday isn't the one with the 0-9-1 record. Right. I mean, but this is this is just a bear's occurrence, kind of like when they hired a coach, announced him, but the contract hadn't been signed. And he said, no, no, no I'm I don't want the job actually come to think of it. Now we've got the reverse. Now we've got a guy who's fired, but he isn't fired and he's still there and nobody really knows what's happening.
2: It's the great Thanksgiving Day tradition where coaches are relieved from their duties of bad teams the day after the game. I mean, it happened last year when Houston Texans beat the Detroit Lions, and both Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia were out on Friday, and now apparently the signs and writing is on the wall for Matt Nagy. I think yesterday it were earlier in the week, a, a chant fire Nagy chant broke out at his son's high school football game at Lake forest high school. So that's gotta be a uh, pretty embarrassing uh, for Matt Nagy and his family and just the whole situation. But it's a little. Some, I think I can understand why people have a little bit of pause on this because the Bears have never fired a coach mid-season. This mm-hmm. would be unprecedented, just in terms of you know the history of that storied franchise. But you know they're three and seven. It's another lost season. This played out exactly the way you would expect it to if you were to take the nightmare route for the Bears going into the season. And oh, by the way, Justin Fields is hurt. So you've already messed up his development. I'm worried for what happens with him in year two. It's not working out with Matt Nagy. For them to move on, though, at Thanksgiving, that tells you a lot about what ownership thinks about the direction this thing is going. When does it happen for Ryan Pace, though? When does it happen for the decision makers who made this roster, not just the coach who's been tasked with coaching it? Completely agree. And
1: we'll always have that conversation. Better to get fired before Thanksgiving and get to at least enjoy it with your family or afterwards. Uh, And, you know, tough to say. Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, Courtney and I are going to talk about the latest CFP rankings. They're coming out any minute now. Who's in the top four? And more quickies coming up.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Courtney Cronin, Sarah Spain, hanging out with you. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests going to join us on the Goodyear hotline, including Jason Fitz, who's going to come on to talk to us about the college football playoff rankings. We have a new top four. Georgia, your number one, no surprise there. Ohio State moves up with the blowout to number two. Alabama sitting at three, and Cincinnati. At number four. That's what we got so far, Courtney.
2: Any quick reaction before we get to uh, uh, Fitz's response a little later in the show? That Arkansas game really hurt Alabama, but do we really care they're three they're gonna end up at number two by the time this whole thing's over I think the committee did exactly what they needed to do after week uh week 12 of the college football season with Ohio State's massive win over Michigan State and what Cincinnati did to prove to the committee that they belong I just don't know if they're gonna stick it for but hey they're there right now first group of five team
1: ever to be ranked in the committee's top four at any point in the season will it mean anything down the stretch Probably not, but at least they finally got the respect to throw him. In the top four and give them that spot. We'll see how the rest of it plays out. We got Michigan at five, Notre Dame at six. We'll give you the rest when Fitz joins us. CSPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi policy discount by combining your car, home, motorcycle, commercial, auto, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at progressive.com. So, Courtney and I'll get back to the college football playoff rankings in just a couple minutes. We got some news of the day to get to, and we do it fast. We got to do it the way we do it around here fast, and that's Quickies.
0: Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast.
1: Well, Mel Tucker got his just in time before the beatdown. James Franklin looking over saying, I'd like a little of that. And Penn State has given their head football coach a new 10-year deal running through the 2031 season. Are we going to be here even? I mean, I know it's a very dark way to approach things, but that's a long time. Uh, worth $7.5 million a year plus incentives and a million annual life insurance loan. Uh, we, uh, we know the remaining salary plus the loan on the contract is what he would make if fired without cause. Courtney, I'm never surprised by numbers in college football. I'm never surprised by buyouts. I think as of a couple of weeks ago there was... $46 million dollars in buyouts already owed just in the public FPS schools. But um, what do you make of this deal?
2: Well, I looked at the buyout structure for what it is before. If they fired, if Penn State fired James Franklin without cause in 2024, they owe him $56 million and Franklin would only owe the university $2 million to leave for another job the same year. So they do this in college football because they're so scared of the coach leaving for the next best thing, and this is a cycle right now too where there's probably going to be upwards of like 18, 19, maybe even 20 different openings, so this is your time to lock up your guy if you don't want him sniffing around or you know maybe taking some calls from USC. Florida's now open. LSU's still a big job. Maybe even Texas becomes open at some point this is the only way you can do it. I don't know, yeah. it's, it's almost like this is like monopoly money in a way. It's kind it of, is, it feels like it. I wanna think of it like the salary cap. Yeah, and it's yeah just, but it's, it's embarrassing just, for all God. the
1: programs that get cut because of money. It's embarrassing for the fact that they become the highest paid employees in the state, public employees of any kind. I know it brings in a lot of money, but uh, there's there's so many ways that it's deeply disturbing to see the money thrown around the way it is. The the thing you mentioned about uh, Franklin's buyout figure, he's got a $12 million number through April 2022 now, $8 million through 2023. So we can stop kind of asking every single year whether or not he might leave. It does drop to $2 million after 2023 though so we don't have long uh before we're right back into the same place we were before asking every year if well they give him around. another extension that's right exactly next story quickies the Jets have botched just about everything this season and that includes the handling of young quarterback Zach Wilson who went out to injury. There's nothing they could do about that. But then there was all sorts of big talk about you know, future Hall of Famer Mike White and then it was, never mind, let's go out and give away some assets for Joe Flacco who we could have just kept around as a mentor to our young quarterback. Instead, we got rid of him and had to come crawling back to him. Well, now it doesn't matter because... Mike White and Joe Flacco are on the reserve COVID-19 list. Placed there today, Josh Johnson, who also saw action during Zach Wilson's injury, uh, likely the backup for Wilson, who will be thrust back into the starting lineup. He hasn't started since that awkward hit took him out in week seven. He did, however, um, go back in, uh, and and it, it feels to me like, it's just a, a a continuation of the mess that we've seen, right? Um, White starting three times, Flacco losing to the Dolphins, Wilson in the meantime just sort of being mishandled in the conversations they're having in his absence. Um, and now he comes in not necessarily by choice but by uh, necessity.
2: Yeah, he's a third different starter in just as many games, which, you know did we expect anything less from the Jets this year to sign an unvaccinated quarterback in Joe Flacco. And then that he winds up, he's going to be out for 10 days. And we don't know what Mike White's status is as far as, is he vaccinated? Is he not? Like if he's positive, you know, he's going to have mm-hmm. to miss a certain we number do of times, a certain number of days. 10 days. But yeah. And that's, <laughs> and that's, that's a really big gaffe when you brought this guy in allegedly to mentor Zach Wilson, and just the way that this is unraveled in his first year can't bode well for what the future holds. It's also wild, Courtney, how many of these players
1: we've seen unvaccinated who are suffering the consequences that were well known to them and their teams, um, and, it, and you're five times more likely to get COVID if you're unvaccinated, and then the repercussions when you do get it and you're out for your team and yourself are more severe. Next story. Quickies. Tennessee Titans announced they've waived veteran running back Adrian Peterson today. He was added to the practice squad on November 2nd after the injury to Derrick Henry. Uh was named to the 53-man roster on November 5th. I don't know if we can quite say grand opening, grand closing, but pretty close. It wasn't it wasn't a long run for Peterson.
2: Yeah, 3-game stint. They made a lot of other roster moves. I don't think this has much to do with like, oh my god, let's freak out we lost to the Texans, but um yeah, I didn't, I didn't think – I think the over-under for Adrian Peterson, I set it five games, so yeah. if you if you guess the under in my betting poll, then you win, but, you know, they're changing their game plan with a number of weeks left until Derrick Henry can return, and they're trying to stay afloat. Last story in Quickies today. Quickies. This happened sort of in the
1: middle of the show last night. We didn't get a chance to talk about it. Taysom Hill agreeing to – a contract extension with the Saints, a very unique contract extension. According to Adam Schefter, he'll get $40 million over the next four years if he remains in his current role as backup quarterback slash running back slash wide receiver slash tight end slash special teamer. If he becomes the saints starting quarterback over the next four years, the deal could be up to worth up to ninety five million it 's got twenty two and a half million in guarantees. He was scheduled to be a free agent after this season. He signed a two year twenty one million dollar deal with the Saints in 2020, which confused people enough because Sean Payton seems to be the only person who thinks he's deserving of quarterback starting quarterback money. But here we are again throwing a bunch of money at a guy that has had plenty of opportunities, just never seems to be the guy. I at least think it's better than not having those
2: concessions in the deal in case he doesn't start. But why are we still doing this game with with Taysom Hill? I mean, it sounds like there was some salary cap gymnastics that they had to work around because they would have had an $8.9 million dead cap charge against the cap when his contract expired. So they wanted to get this done before next spring when his contract voided. This is a team that is always in salary cap hell because they backload everything. But now we know that he's part of the Saints future in some form or fashion, but I still think this is a team that's going to go get Russell Wilson next season. So Ooh. who knows?
1: Yeah. Again, the, the, the salary cap that they're trying to work around the creativity that they're using, because they're not sure where he's going to be playing. I'm okay with all that. I still think the numbers are so big for a guy that we just haven't seen real starting quarterback play out of, and again, Sean Payton seems to be the only one who keeps trying to make that happen. Quit trying to make Fetch happen, okay? We know what he is. Uh, quit paying him like something else. Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz. He's going to stop by next to weigh in on the latest CFP rankings, especially since he at number four. It's coming up.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz, but Fitz is here now, too, to talk about the college football playoff rankings that just hit, and we got some movement today. Fitz? First reaction on the rankings reaction brought to you by Wendy's. Better breakfast o'clock at Wendy's to get a bacon or sausage, egg and cheese biscuit for $1. First thing that hits you of the latest uh, uh, CFP rankings. I
5: I think this is the least controversial we've had so far this year. As I sat there, you know, because we don't get them in advance. So we're watching the TV broadcast just like everybody else as we prep for our rankings reaction show. And I was sitting next to Mike Golick Jr. and Christine Williamson. And we all just sort of looked at each other and said, huh, who would have thought like this actually – Kind of makes sense. Georgia won Ohio State two, which I thought could have happened even last week. Alabama at three. Cincinnati at four. Michigan at five. Notre Dame at six. Like, it it kind of made sense. And we stopped showing the top seven, finally. So, I'm happy about that.
2: So, Cincinnati at four. Nice for now. This is a situation, though, where it doesn't feel like it is as simple for them just to win out their final two unless it's a blowout against East Carolina, unless it's a blowout against Houston, for them to actually stick at four. Do you agree?
5: Yeah, that's probably the case. If if there's no chaos above them, I will say Houston being ranked again by the committee is giving. It almost feels like they're just keeping Houston in at 24 because that's their way of saying, hey, the AAC championship will give us some value. It feels like that. On the one hand, on the other hand, you've got uh, Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma, respectively, all in the top 10 now. So depending on how the Big 12 plays out, you know Oklahoma State has the opportunity to win the big uh, Big 12 and turn around get a couple of big landmark wins wins in that process I I think whoever wins if somebody's able to win out of that could actually leapfrog a lot of teams too so there is still chaos to be had depending on how the Big 12 plays out
1: Let's talk about Cincy still, because I think you and I in the break as we were getting ready for, to come back, we were talking about how it, it feels like maybe these rankings were done because they figured the Big Ten stuff will figure itself out with my uh, Michigan and Ohio State playing each other. But I'm not sure what the path is to getting Cincy out of the top four if they win out once they've put them in. And I, I was I would be shocked if they did that. Like, it just felt like this unfair system where Cincinnati, no matter what, wasn't going to get a shot. And now it kind of feels like they might.
5: Well, I, I think the the biggest thing in my mind is if I'm looking at Oklahoma State, who's sitting, you know, right now outside of the top six, but if they get a win over number 10 Oklahoma, and then uh, they win in that case the Big 12 championship game again over number 10 Oklahoma, those would be two really good wins. And so Oklahoma State would be sitting here with one loss and a bunch of key wins. I, I just wonder if the committee then will turn around and say, okay. Cool, Cincinnati, you get to stick where you are. The one thing that I think, though, makes Cincinnati safe is there's still chaos ahead of them because Georgia is going to play, barring some unforeseen, oh, my God, Georgia's going to play Alabama for the SEC championship game. And that, I mean, right now favors Georgia. So, all of a sudden, Alabama could be sitting here with two losses, and if it's ugly at all at the SEC championship game, then you have to wonder if Alabama finds their way sliding out of the top four. So, I think there's still enough chaos ahead that if I'm Cincinnati, I feel kind of good, but but I, I just wouldn't be surprised to see that anybody other than Notre Dame leapfrog Cincinnati still.
2: So last week I thought Oklahoma was done after the loss to Baylor, and then they beat Iowa State 28-21 this past week. They're number 10 in the rankings as it currently stands. You had mentioned Baylor and Oklahoma State also within the top 10. So if Oklahoma wins out, does that mean as a 12-1 Big Ten Big 12 champion, that they're in the playoff? Can you see a scenario and a path for that to happen? Man,
5: if that happens, like – because I'm with you. I thought when when they fell to 13 last week, it was like, okay, even Heather it said, wow, I think Oklahoma's done – This Oklahoma team is not particularly good. And, yes, they get the 28-21 win, but when's the last time we saw a Lincoln-Riley team that had no clue what they're doing at the quarterback position? And it doesn't matter whether it was Spencer Rattler or now Caleb Williams. They can't get anything reliable behind center. Like, I have a really – I see where you're coming from, and I see that path being laid out. If that happens, I'd be really disappointed in the committee, though, just because that feels like such brand bias of, well, they're Big 12 and they're Oklahoma, so we got to put them in. I I just – they haven't. If if the eye test matters to anybody, this Oklahoma team has not looked good for much of the year. So I'd be pretty stunned to see it happen.
1: Our own Jason Fitz is with us on the Goodyear Hotline. at Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz as he's going to run off and do his college football rankings show, his digital show after this. You know, I mentioned the Big Ten. Obviously, Ohio State, and Michigan played this Saturday, so some things will be figured out. But based solely on the fact that in theory they shouldn't be doing rankings based on games that have yet to be played. What's the excuse for Michigan dropping?
5: Yeah, well, I mean, Michigan, Michigan's at five this week. Where were they last week? Were they Were they at six last week? I think Michigan has gone up one. So oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Michigan drop. Uh, okay, Michigan has gone up one, but but Michigan didn't get as much love as I thought they might. Uh, for for beating, uh, for beating Penn State last week. Like, I mean, part of this comes from Ohio State takes a huge leap for just absolutely decimating mm-hmm. Michigan State, which I, I think we sort of expected. I wouldn't have been surprised if Michigan had found their way in the top four because the committee keeps see, seemingly having so many problems with the Cincinnati strength of schedule that I think uh, is, has right. them ranked around And 90th. I didn't
1: really think about it, but if Michigan lost to Michigan State and Michigan State blown out by Ohio State, then maybe they're using the transitive property to say that Michigan isn't even that good and they wouldn't even have gotten blown out by more than Michigan State. But they haven't been viewing that earlier, which, again, brings us back to the same conversation we always have, which it doesn't feel like they use the same metrics every time.
5: No, this this committee, I think, has been the most inconsistent and difficult to figure out that we've ever seen in my years covering the college football playoff committee. It feels like one week they're totally uh, sold on analytics, one week they're sold on the eye test. Last week it felt like they were part analytics and part eye test, depending on which game we were taking, some head-to-head, some not head-to-head. Like It's so maddeningly inconsistent. It feels like when you go to your mom and you know that She's wrong, and you keep asking her questions, and she's like, just because. That's been the answer from the committee is just because I said so.
2: So you mentioned style points. Notre Dame had a 55-0 win over Georgia Tech last week, so 55 style points that they just threw in the face of the committee, and now they're at number six. Who do they need to falter like who should notre dame fans be rooting for down the stretch here to try to get them into the playoff for i guess this would be three, you know three times in the last four years
5: i think it's actually pretty simple for them courtney i think you know if you look at the sec championship game georgia if georgia thumps alabama then alabama's gone there, there's no a two loss alabama team would need to have an epic sec championship game to stay in the conversation And Michigan is going to be cleared out by Ohio State this week or vice versa. So, in theory, two of the four teams that are sitting ahead of Notre Dame are going to be gone in a couple of weeks. And that's crazy to say because, again, I don't think Notre Dame has been a particularly great football team this year, although they're playing better right now than they were. Uh, But there is a very real and viable path that gets them up to number four while Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and Baylor sort of beat up on each other. And Notre Dame just sits there laughs playing nobody at the end of the season and finds their way sitting at four. I I think that's pretty real.
1: But Fitz, you just said if Ohio State loses to Michigan, they're automatically cleared out, but they would not be the only team with a loss that would be in the top four if they stuck around. Is that just recency bias of you just lost to someone and we saw their teams lose earlier in the season?
5: Ohio State has the one loss already. So right, so they because they lost to Oregon, oh, now right. they the lose Oregon again. Loss. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, and the Oregon loss is was up to this point was actually, and this is the dumbest thing in college football lexicon, a good loss. You know, where they say, hey, right. you lost to a top team. Then Oregon gets just
1: whacked so yeah. by
5: Utah. You know, <laughs> so I think that the Utah was the one that really put a, a you know a, a, a little pr- pr- prickle in this whole thing. Like nothing nothing makes sense after what Utah did to Oregon, and that's that sort of hurts Ohio State in that process too. So that's why a second loss would be particularly damning for them.
2: So we're a week away still from championship weekend. If you can predict the future for me into next week's college football playoff rankings, which I believe is the fifth of the six that we're going to get, do, you, do we still see – not many changes, not much ex- expectation in terms of surprise or could next week be a shape shakeup going coming out of this weekend going in championship weekend?
5: I, I think next week the biggest shake-up is going to be what kind of credit Does Oklahoma State get if they just if they go in and thump Oklahoma, what happens with Oklahoma State? Because that's going to answer so many of our questions. If there's a big move to be made, I actually think it comes after Bedlam, not after the Big 12 championship game. So we would see a jump next week. So, you know, in in this theory of Michigan losing to Ohio State this weekend, if that happens, the question is, does Notre Dame move up or does Oklahoma State actually jump Notre Dame? That would be the most interesting thing going into next weekend.
1: Awesome stuff. Fitz, enjoy the digital show. We'll be back tomorrow. I think I'm going to delay the recap on our weekend NFL picks till tomorrow so you can enjoy the results.
5: <sighs> you know, it's, 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 yeah. Oof. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so thankful Spoiler, for that. Spoiler, I
1: won again. Oh. It's Spain and Fitz. It's Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz. He's off to do his digital show. We'll talk to him tomorrow. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, protecting your business with specialized coverages for your commercial vehicles. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Coming up. A holiday hot take that we simply cannot allow to stand. It's next.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Yesterday, we got you ready for Thanksgiving by talking some of your best Thanksgiving traditions. Also asked you about Harry Douglas's family having a smorgasbord of meats, none of which is turkey on Thanksgiving. Most of you said eat what makes you happy. Turkey is trash anyway. I don't agree, but... I understand whatever brings you joy is fine, with one exception. There will be no slander of mac and cheese. And there has been, and we need to address it. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin, in for Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And Matthew Judon, friend of the show, I would say, although perhaps friend no longer. Uh, recent addition to the Patriots, been great there. Didn't just say no mac and cheese at Thanksgiving. He said this.
0: Yeah, I have never liked macaroni and cheese. And you know how they say like, oh, your taste buds change every seven years and you just gotta... Every time I try it, it's the same thing. It's never gonna change. It's never gonna get better, all right? I'm almost 30 now. I'm pretty set in my ways and it's disgusting. Get it off the table. The bathrooms will be uh, less busy, and everybody will have a better day. So if you want to have a good Thanksgiving, don't cook macaroni and cheese.
1: Okay, so first of all, who gets the runs from mac and cheese? Like, what kind of mac and cheese are you eating? Like, I've never associated eating mac and cheese with the bathroom. Have you,
2: Courtney? And I, my stomach hates everything. I mean, dairy is where my mind goes there. You're probably using whole milk. You're probably using multiple different kinds of cheeses, half and half, heavy cream. You're trying to make this like a heart attack on a dish. So of course, I could never thought of that that. as a bathroom inducing. How much are you eating to make that happen, though? Like, come on, isn't that like a responsibility and accountability thing if you're sending yourself to the bathroom by eating that much macaroni and cheese? Right. I'm just asking.
1: I also again. It's never been a traditional part of my Thanksgiving dinner to have mac and cheese, but mac and cheese is amazing, and I think it should be a part of every meal. I'm fine with eating it all the time. So if you've got it at your Thanksgiving dinner, congrats, you're doing it right. What I don't understand is the ether for mac and cheese as a whole. Like, he's not even saying it doesn't belong on your Thanksgiving plate. He is saying that obje- like, like across all forms, kinds, meals times of day types of cheese types of noodle that it's bad
2: and courtney i cannot abide by that no i mean it's it's a bad take like there's there's no way around it not just for thanksgiving but you know i might go make mac and cheese when i get off air it is the easiest meal to make for yourself it's great for one It's great for a holiday. It's great for a normal Tuesday. So I really can't support this take. I don't know if I could ever support Matthew Judon ever again. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's good when it's in a box, not to mention
1: when you put together a beautiful mac and cheese with a you know crunchy sort of baked top. I mean, it's good when you just have noodles and you throw some cheese and stir it around. It's still delicious. I don't know what he's doing wrong, but it had me thinking, because we were asking people about their own traditions, if you've got something on your menu that would turn off somebody in a different state or city. Is there a very local part of your Thanksgiving dinner? Hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to be a part of Spain and Fitz nation. Let us know. Is there a local delight? And I put that in very heavy quotation marks that you see at your Thanksgiving table or your friends or family that you think others would be surprised by. For instance, when I first went to Wisconsin with my husband for his family Thanksgiving, they still did, and my family never did this, so I guess still as I guess, relative. I don't know if it's happening all over. It never happened at mine, but the jello mold with the pieces of fruit in it. They also did the green bean casserole with, like, Funyuns and things on top, which is not my jam. But most importantly, Courtney, because I think those things are, across the board, uh, common enough. They did something that is called, in Wisconsin, either tiger meat, raw meat sandwiches, cannibal sandwiches, or steak tartare, which is literally a giant mound of raw beef, occasionally served with raw onions and a piece of white bread. But at my husband's family's house, it was just a plate of raw meat with a couple raw onions on top. And you will not be surprised to hear that the Wisconsin Health Department is recommending that people not eat this because of... Salmonella and listeria and all sorts of other bacteria. Uh, but that one blew my mind. You're a, Wisconsin, uh, a
2: Minnesota person. Is there something strange that they do out there? I've never had Thanksgiving here, but I know okay. hot dish, which is a just any sort of casserole. Usually there's a okay. carb base and then there's gravy of some sort, maybe a vegetable in there. I think it's their version of stuffing or dressing or something of the sort. But hot dish is a thing that's year-round here. But that, I have heard, is served at Thanksgiving dinners, Thanksgiving tailgates, what have you. I'm with you, though, because I grew up in the Midwest, and, and my grandmother always had to have that stupid cream jello mold with the fake <laughs> canned fruit in it. No one ate it. Like, look, I, I, I know a lot of people have slander on the canned cranberry that has the mm-hmm. canned marks on it. No Personally, thanks. I love it. I love it. I'll eat it any, any time of day. I'll put it on a sandwich afterwards. I'll eat wow. it with my meal, whatever. But the jello mold, I cannot do the jello mold. I mean, it's not even real fruit in there. Like, it just sits <laughs> there. It looks pretty, but it doesn't actually serve a purpose. It's not like you put that on your sandwich like you do, you know, a leftover Thanksgiving sandwich with a cranberry dressing. Like, it literally has no purpose. But regionally speaking, um, the green bean casserole is yeah. one, but like the mm-hmm. fake green bean casserole—the one that has all of the cream and mushroom nonsense with it and the Funion, um chips on top of it—that's yeah. that's one mm-hmm. that I think we've had at many it's a Good way to ruin in vegetables, in my opinion. But I'm also
1: one of those people who really likes vegetables, so I don't need them covered in funyuns and other things.
2: Yeah, me neither. No, I'm not a big fan of that one. All right,
1: so we're going to ask you guys for that take. And of course, we don't even need to put up a poll about the mac and cheese. I think we can all agree that cheese and noodles together are amazing. Uh, but you can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nations presented by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve so we're gonna have Myron Metcalf join us in just a few minutes Courtney to talk about the men's college basketball slate some really big games coming up tonight on ESPN but I wanted to ask you because I was watching yesterday afternoon some women's hoops and there was a uh, a game going on between South Carolina and UConn and early on it was pretty close then UConn pulled away enough that I had to go run an air and I figured they held on to it they absolutely crashed and burned and Afterwards, not only was it solidifying for South Carolina as the number one team in in the country, which they were already ranked, um, but in that one-two matchup uh, in the Bahamas, they sort of reiterated to everybody that this is not the old days where you can presume it's a UConn lock every time, that this Gamecocks team is really good, that Aaliyah Boston is really good, 22 points, 15 boards. Um, But afterwards, do you know where Emma taking shots at his team? And I wonder, you know, do you believe in in the sort of motivation by criticism, especially when it sounds like this?
6: By the end, you know, the object is to win the game and we didn't win, so that's a bad thing. But this is a very stubborn group of players, which I don't understand. Like, I've coached some most iconic players that ever played college basketball, and they weren't stubborn. And now I got guys that can barely play a lick and they're stubborn as shit. It's welcome to the 2021, right?
1: First of all, it's always weird when someone calls a bunch of ladies guys. I mean, I'll say, like, hey, guys, but, like, if I looked at a team full of women, I wouldn't say I've got a bunch of guys. But also, can't play a lick at UConn? I don't know about that, Courtney. Yeah, looking around that room trying to figure out who he's talking about.
2: It better not be Paige Beckers. It's clearly not. uh, I think we all know. (laughs) I don't know who he's talking about then. Maybe somebody like the like ninth person on the bench. Who knows?
1: I just don't think it's a good way to motivate. Like I said, I, I, I'm here for wanting your players to step up their game, being disappointed, especially the way that game ended with a loud fart from the UConn side in the fourth quarter. I don't mean literally. That was the that was my description of their play. But um, I just I'm not down for that kind of conversation about a player, um, or any players. Uh, how, I don't know how many of his can't play it like. Uh, but coming up, we'll talk about that huge game in college hoops tonight with Myron.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, the man everyone wants to talk to as the college basketball slate heats up at ESPN College Basketball Reporter and radio host, Myron Metcalf. Myron, thanks for the time. Let's quickly, I want to talk to you about the Duke situation because uh, they are internally telling us it's been handled, everybody learned, we moved on, but I don't know that we really wrapped up whether we feel like this was properly handled. We've seen players suspended, uh, sat out for, you know, things that we don't really know the details on that are team violations like Curfew. This was actually a legal issue, and it felt like maybe Coach K didn't want to um, didn't want to keep his guy out very long.
7: Yeah, I mean, I think the people who think that there's no no argument against it. You know, a projected number one pick, uh, you know, who's involved in something like this. Now, Paul Ben Carroll wasn't arrested for DUI. He was arrested for aiding and abetting whatever that means. Uh, but I think, yeah, a lot of people thought that there would be some form of discipline just for even ending up in that kind of situation, and I was surprised that there wasn't any missed time or or anything like that. So I definitely understand that, that sentiment. Um, And you will also have to wonder, okay, this obviously happened uh, with Paulo. uh, What role did his talent and impact play into how he was, uh, you know, how his situation was assessed. So I understand the criticism, criticism for sure.
2: It's feast weeks. We've got a bunch of really good games on from about noon till midnight every night this week. Number one and number two, Gonzaga and UCLA. Memories of that insane buzzer beater in the final four are conjured at this moment. How different are these teams this year, starting with Gonzaga, now adding Chet Holmgren to Drew Timmy and his mustache?
7: <laughs> yeah, the the mustache is back, uh, but Drew Timmy is like the only – Gonzaga player who actually was playing in that game, sort of a new group. Um, so you know, you watch these guys with Chet. It's just, a, it's just a different team. I mean, I'm standing outside T-Mobile Arena right now. It's going to be a crazy environment. UCLA fans, Gonzaga fans are pouring into the building. Um, so I'm excited to see what happens. But Gonzaga is just completely different with Chet and Drew Timmy. There's just no team in America that has a six foot ten guy, Drew Timmy, who might be National Player of the Year, and then Chet Holmgren at seven feet and all the things that he can do. So they're they're just a unique matchup. Whereas UCLA, is it's a lot of the same team. You know, Johnny Juzang and and what he was able to do. Uh, Cody Riley's hurt, but Tiger Campbell. I mean, so a number of the pieces are are there from from last year. So it's going to be interesting to see how those teams have evolved, how they've developed. And I just think it'll be a good game. This is one of those games, Courtney, where I'm like, I hope it lives up to the hype. And I hope it's not like some Mm -hmm. 15-point win.
1: Myron Metcalf with us here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin talking to our ESPN college basketball reporter. That's a 10 Eastern start right on ESPN tonight, UCLA, Gonzaga. They own the top two spots in the AP top 25 right now. You cool with that? Is there anyone else you would argue should be up there?
7: I think they deserve it. I mean, you look at what UCLA has been able to do, what they built upon from last year after the Final Four run bringing back Johnny Juzang, who might be national player of the year. And I think Gonzaga, you had a guy in Chet Holmgren who might be the number one pick uh, to a team that was already very good, finishes the national runner-up. That makes sense. But, I mean, Duke is going to be right there. They get their shot at Gonzaga on Friday. Uh, You know, I'll be down there for that. So that should be a good matchup. I think once we get through this week, we'll have a sense of where Gonzaga stands nationally. If they beat UCLA, they already beat Texas, and then they beat Duke on Friday, there will be no doubt that they are the best team in America and the clear favorite to win the national championship.
2: Another game over on our airwaves on ESPN News tonight is Illinois at number 14 at Kansas State. The I haven't shown, Myron, that they're capable of being a top 25 team yet. And I'm wondering why they look so timid, in your opinion, because it feels like they're trying to force the ball to Kofi Coburn and Andre Corbello, but they really have no other option other than those two guys. What's their issue? <sighs>
7: Well, I think, you know, you look at a guy like Io DeSumo, who, you know, was an All-American last year, one of the best players in America. Like, every time you lose a guy like that, we love in sports to say, well, they're going to replace him with these two or three guys. You can't replace Io. That dude was one of the three or four best players in all of America. So I think Illinois is just Illinois without Io, And they look like an average team. I mean, Kofi's great, but he was a guy who played very well next to Io, and all the mismatch challenges that... He created. So I think they're just missing a guy who was one of the top players in America. They haven't regrouped the way they thought they would. And I think what we forget about IO is he was the closer. Tough game. Guy needs to take a tough shot. It was him. I don't know that they have that guy right now, Courtney. I think that's what's hurting them so much.
1: I'll tell you who's happy about Iowa right now. The Bulls, baby, because they're back. The Bulls are back, and <laughs> Iowa's a part of it. I've been loving watching it. Uh, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin talking to Myron Metcalf. What are the surprise early on? It, it, it's so hard because you're watching it night in and night out, and a lot of folks are busy with their NFL and college football and everything else, um, and they really get into it later in the season. So this early on, we're depending on you to be you know, all eyes on and let us know which teams are, are looking worse than you expected, better than you expected.
7: Well, I think you look at Baylor and what they had last year. Baylor was a very, very good team. Obviously won the national championship. Um, and I think a lot of people thought, okay, they lost the core of that team and they're not going to be the same group. But to me, Baylor is still real. That's still a very, very good team. Kendall Brown, the freshman, nobody's talking about him yet, but he could be a lottery pick, Six uh, eight kid who can play all spots. I mean, I think that's going to be a very good team and they have a chance to repeat. I think Purdue is probably the biggest surprise. I knew they'd be good. I don't know they'd be this good. I mean, Jaden Ivey is going to be a top five pick. He might be the best player in the Big Ten, so I think that's maybe a surprise as well. But also, you have a team like Illinois that's struggling. We mentioned them. Uh, Michigan has had its share of struggles, which that was unexpected. Um, so I think those are a couple of teams you look at them and go, "Okay, I thought you would be better than, than maybe you were." Uh, but it's still a bit early to sort of get too down on those teams. Also, Memphis. Imani Bates. I don't know why people aren't saying more about that team, but they could be special as well.
1: Myron, before we let you go, we're switching gears over to the women's side. There were some great games yesterday afternoon. I was watching South Carolina UConn. UConn was up double digits. I had to pop out, and when I looked back again, they had blown it. They, had, they, they absolutely blew it down the stretch, which resulted in Gino Auriemma saying this about his team after the loss.
6: But at the end, you know, the object is to win the game, and we didn't win, so that's a bad thing but this is a very stubborn group of players, which I don't understand. Like I've coached some most iconic players that ever played college basketball and they weren't stubborn. And now I got guys that can barely play a lick and they're stubborn as shit. It's welcome to the 2021, right?
1: So what do you make of that? I, I, I'm, I'm used to Gino g- saying some things that'll turn some heads, but you okay with describing some of the current players on his team as guys who don't know how to play a
7: lick? It seemed a little harsh, you know, Um, especially because, I mean, South Carolina is the best team in America. Leah Boston is, to me, the most dominant post presence in the country, men's or women's basketball. I think South Carolina is just better. Uh, and I think that's what we saw in that game. So it did seem a little harsh. At the same time, this is a UConn team that's supposed to be competing for championships. And I I think part of it was Geno wanting these guys to realize how good they can be right now and sort of find a way to recover after that loss. Um, But I I think it was a little harsh. I mean, I never know why you have to say something like that, at least publicly, about any player, uh, especially a team that played their hearts out. They just lost to a better team.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was an embarrassing fourth-quarter performance, but I don't know that I want to be looking around my locker room trying to figure out which of us he means when he says, guys who can't play a lick. Uh, That's just me. But, uh, hey, Myron, thanks for the insight. Enjoy the games tonight.
0: All right, thank you. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: 29 yards for the win. Waiting on the snap.
0: There it is. Placement down. Kick is up. It is good. Take fit all season by close losses. The Vikings get a walk off field goal to
1: beat Green Bay 34 31. Yeah, what are the odds that any Minnesota fan on earth thought that they would pull off the win with the last-second field goal? It always seems to go the other way for the Vikings, but they get a big win over the Packers, a win that a lot of people called before this past weekend. I heard it all over the experts show. Not on this one, because Fitz blatantly disregarded all of the experts saying there would be an upset if he picked the Packers anyway. But that's a tale for tomorrow when we revisit our picks. It's Bane and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio the ESPN app Sirius XM channel 80 we're presented by Progressive Insurance and Court I want to talk about the Vikings because first of all there's just you know the drama at the beginning of the seasons Kirk Cousins and his weirdness and his I'll play in a surrounded by a plate glass window and keep myself safe from the COVID even though I'm unvaccinated and you know oh he's overpaid and, and what has he really done and then, you know, the typical Vikings, you know, clutching uh, a defeat from the jaws of victory repeatedly. But here we are with them in the mix and a team that a lot of people are respecting now. What's this journey been like for you as someone who's covering the team super closely?
2: Super chaotic. I mean, every game comes down to the final drive just about in five of their... Um, you know, at least in five of their games that I can think of, I've had four or five different stories open, um, multiple different windows, all these different word files that I keep trying to parse through, depending upon the outcome, whether it's going to be a missed field goal, whether the two minute drive is going to blow up in their face, whether the defense is not going to be able to get a stop, whether another team is going to win the coin flip and overtime first and go down and score. Like there's all these things that have happened and they can never just win in normal <laughs> game, and I think it speaks to how good they actually are, but how they're just playing down to their opponents, like in a lot of games. I mean, they took Detroit down to the final drive. The fact that they had to go to overtime with Carolina is not a good look. But then again, you know, week two, what they do with Arizona, a team that you know is the longest, had the longest undefeated stretch, and the Vikings nearly beat them had it not been for a missed field goal in week two. And then, you know, this past weekend and the week before that with the Chargers in Green Bay, now they're back at five hundred, second time that's happened this season. And they look like they are in a pretty good spot on the back half of their schedule to actually get into the playoffs when a couple of weeks ago we were wondering if Mike Zimmer is going to get fired midseason. So big shift in events here in Minnesota.
1: Yeah, I mean, keeping it interesting, keeping it exciting, not always uh, good for the fans' cardiac situations. When you say they play
2: down to teams, to whom do you blame for that? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with their aggressiveness on offense in those games because first half of games they have – stunk in the two-minute drill offensively like there's just been some really poor play calling some really conservative decisions some bad clock and and just overall situational management which falls on I think coaching first and foremost of you know the execution in those situations but we saw a change in them after that Ravens game where In two games combined, Justin Jefferson had five catches on nine targets. Like, you just can't walk away feeling comfortable about the state of your offense when that's the case. And then all of a sudden, you've seen what's happened when they remember Justin Jefferson's on this team the past two games. Mm -hmm. He's exploded against the Chargers and against the Packers. He's a top-five receiver in the NFL, and he's a major reason why they're winning games. Like, you can give him credit— for four touchdowns, even though he only scored two against the Packers, because on Adam Thielen's touchdown, he drew a 37-yard pass interference to move the Vikings pretty deep into Green Bay territory. And then he sets up Dalvin Cook's one-yard rushing touchdown with the 56-yard catch, and, you know, had he not outstretched his arm, and I don't know, maybe if he doesn't get tackled at the one-yard line, he scores three touchdowns. So, They've changed their mentality because I think they're honestly becoming a pass-first offense. Like They've kind of abandoned the conservative run-first, we're going to win games on defense because they just can't do that anymore. And I think Mike Zimmer's come to realize that more than halfway into the season.
1: Well, and for all the questions about Kirk Cousins, he seems up to the task, if that's the way they want to run this offense, at least of late. Uh, touchdown interception ratio is the best in the league and outperforming uh, everybody but Dan Marino in terms of 300-yard games with three touchdown passes or more. So he's got some stats that are putting him up there in conversations that he's usually not in. It's, It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin chatting about the Vikings. Courtney's account. I'm looking at the last couple seasons under Cousins, Eight and seven in 2018, ten and six in 2019, seven and nine in 2020. Now sitting at five and five, 500. What is the local reaction to this team over the last couple years with Cousins with Zimmer? Is it this isn't good enough? Is it we want to be more regularly contending? Is it at least we're in the mix? We've been in the playoffs twice. Well, I guess just once, just 20, 2019, 2019 in terms of that combo of Zimmer and Cousins. Uh, they went the year before Cousins arrived with Keenum.
2: Um, what, what is the local reaction? It has a lot to do with... I think that everybody kind of realizes this team's headed into a brick wall after this season and something's got to give because Cousins has one more year on his contract and he's got a 45 million dollar cap hit with most with all of his base salary fully guaranteed. So how much longer are the Vikings going to stick with Kirk Cousins if they don't get past the first round of the playoffs as if they don't make the playoffs, but if they don't get a playoff win this year, how much longer are the Vikings going to stick with Mike Zimmer? They've been hearing the same voice for for eight years. When is it time to make a switch? How much longer are the Vikings going to stick with Rick Spielman, who's been with the team since 06 and GM since 12? Good picks, bad picks. I mean, it just kind of feels like this was such a make-or-break year regardless of what happens because of the decisions they're going to have to make with their coaching, front office, and their quarterback going forward. So I do believe there's some optimism, but it's cautious optimism among these fans because they saw this going into the bye. The team was 3-3, three and three and there was high optimism. Granted, again, they had just beaten Carolina in overtime, a team that they shouldn't have let hang around against a really, really bad quarterback in Sam Darnold. But now it kind of feels like they're legitimized because they just beat the top seed in the NFC and they went on the road and they showed what they had to do with their offense against the Chargers. The the dynamic of this team has changed. It's not a defensive team anymore. It's a team that's actually adapting to the rest of the NFL with the way that they can have a pass first mentality and be aggressive and take shots and not play, you know, the clock management game. And I think that that's where fans are buying in right now, being like, hey, we can be just like everybody else in the NFL. We can do it the way that the Chiefs are doing it. We can do it the way that the Saints do it when they're not injured everywhere. We can do it the way that the good teams do it. The question then, do they believe that Kirk Cousins is the answer if they want to do it that way going forward? As of right now, yeah. I'm just kind of waiting. Do, Do we regress to the mean at some point? Does he go back to being conservative? I mean, against this – he's facing Kyle Shanahan this week, a guy who knows him better than anybody else in the NFL, somebody who wanted him to be his quarterback. So what happens in San Francisco? If he throws a couple of picks, is he going to start to get gun-shy and not take as many chances and not be the same he's been the last couple weeks? Then does the offense start to regress? So, I mean – it's in a vacuum it looks good right now 21 and 2 looks good right now Kirk Cousins not throwing an interception that was actually recorded on the stat sheet against Green Bay looks good but remember there were two near picks that you know were overturned it's a completely different story probably if those were actually interceptions Absolutely. Good insight from Courtney there on the Vikings. Uh, also wanted to
1: point out last night, early in the in, in the season of Dancing with the Stars, we had Amon Shumpert on the show. He was a great guest, really fun to talk to. He was very enthusiastic and hopeful about his time. Kind of hoped he might get picked up by a, an NBA team midway through the season, though. Maybe not now, because last night he won the Ball Trophy with his partner. And if you weren't watching Dancing with the Stars this season, I highly recommend you just go look up Amon Shumpert's dances, because All of them were insanely entertaining, and I am super-duper impressed with him. It was a lot of fun. Go check it out. Coming up, Matt Nagy rumors continue to swirl, so we'll talk to a former Bear about it.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Just when you're getting excited at the possibility of a W to end a long, embarrassing losing streak, the Bears make things real interesting ahead of a Thanksgiving matchup with the winless Lions by maybe telling their coach he'll be fired after that game, but then the coach has to come out and say, no, 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 that's not true, that's not happening. Now leaving the longest-tenured Bear, Patrick Manley, post publicly that the team is supposed to do whatever it can to make it more likely that you're going to get a win that weekend, and the Bears didn't do that today. Just to add it to the long list of things that have been embarrassing for one of the oldest franchises in the NFL, and we're going to get a former player to join us and break down just all the ways that this team has disappointed this year. It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio. The ESPN app, SiriusXM XM Channel 80. Joining us now in the Goodyear hotline, Tom Waddle. You can hear him on Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN 1000 in Chicago. My old stomping grounds. Uh, Tom, let's just start with... Uh, your reaction when you first heard the report this morning that Nagy had been told you will be let go after thanksgiving this will be your final game on thursday
8: well, i thought it was odd that a report by the way hello uh to both of you um hello. i thought it was really odd that anyone would do business that way that they would try and tell their coach on monday that this was going to be your last game on Thursday. Uh, but go out there and give it a good you know, college or in this instance a good NFL try and do your best. Like it just – even for this organization that runs through my veins and I have such great love and, and, and passion for, it seemed odd that they were going to do business on, uh, in that manner. So, um, you know, so I guess my first reaction was, is, wow, that's really weird. Like you're either going to relieve him of his duties or you're not. And I really don't buy this concept that, well, we need to keep him in place because it's such a short turnaround on Thursday. You very easily could have let him go at the end of the loss to the Ravens. Chris Tabor, their special teams coach, was the interim head coach when he was out with COVID against the 49ers a few weeks ago. And Bill Lazor reportedly is in charge of the offense now. So I don't think it would be this huge stretch that you still needed Matt around to make sure that you could get through this short week in a seamless fashion. So. Very confusing, to be honest with you, to start the day.
2: A couple of years ago, when I was flying to New Orleans to cover the Vikings-Saints Wild Card game, uh, there were a couple of reports out that week that the Vikings were going to move on from Mike Zimmer come win or loss. And the Wilf family, the owners, put out a statement that said they unequivocally supported Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman. And that was on the Friday before that Sunday game. And obviously they win that game, they keep Zimmer, whatever. But um, was it surprising that this report comes out and that – you don't have George McCaskey, Ted Phillips, or Ryan Pace coming out to say something about Nagy and refute the report, does that potentially give it credence in your mind?
8: I think there's a good chance that that's the case. Uh, Look, my biggest problem right now, I don't think it's a matter of if Nagy's going to be fired. It's, It's when. And I think that at the end of the year, that would have been my prediction several weeks ago. Um... Look, can, could I envision a scenario where um, they decide to move on from him after the, the, the game against the Lions on Thursday? Yeah, I, I mean, I could see that. I just wish that the organization would do things in a more professional manner. And to reference you, you know, your point there, look, at some point, Matt Nagy, his boss is Ryan Pace. I would hope that somebody would step forward and actually have some sort of response to this. Like, how does this story get leaked? And and, and look, I Mm -hmm. I don't know what the author's resource or or source is on this front, and I would never suggest that it wasn't a good one. I can tell you this, that I have a couple of pretty good sources that disputed, like Matt did at at his press conference today, that he was not told on Monday, nor was he told before he went out to practice earlier today, that he was getting fired and that the, the Lions game was going to be his last. I'm not suggesting that ultimately he won't be fired on Thursday or Friday or whenever it is, but that portion of the story, I feel extremely confident that that was incorrect. Um, They do things in a very strange fashion in this town, uh, unfortunately, and part of me thinks that this is still very possible on Thursday. Part of me also Mm -hmm. thinks they're very stubborn, and they don't at times like to give credence to reports that they deem are are not truthful. So, you know, I guess in a long about, you know, inconclusive way on my behalf, anything is possible with these people. And <laughs> it's why it's so frustrating.
1: Spain and Fitz Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight. As we talked to Tom Waddle, former bears wide receiver. Now you can hear him on Waddle and Sylvia on ESPN 1000. And I've listened to you guys over the last couple weeks as various uh, controversies, frustrations, bad losses have come and gone. And there are so many questions left. Namely, what do you do with Justin Fields for the rest of the season? I think, of course, you have to yeah. keep giving him the reps regardless of who's running the ship. Um, but also in the off season, are the Bears moving to the Burbs? Are Should the team be sold? Should Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy and anybody else go with them? I mean, what do you think is the going to be the biggest question now that it is certain that this is a lost season? But also, I think pretty certain that the future could be bright with Justin Fields if you get the rest of the stuff
8: right? Yes, yeah, Sarah, I think that the biggest question is, is what is the appetite up at Hallis Hall for significant change? We can sit here and talk all day long that Matt Daggy hasn't done a good enough job over the last four years advancing this offense. I think statistically, you know, that that proves the point. He was brought here to revolutionize an offense, and and develop a quarterback while Mitch, Mitch Trubisky, wasn't his guy. He really did not. I, in my opinion, put Mitch in a decent enough position to take advantage of Mitch's limited skill set. You can argue that Justin Fields is a guy. I, and I think he's significantly more talented than Mitch and has a greater upside, but that they've struggled to help him along. I mean, rookies are going to, to struggle regardless. I think we have seen some progress, saw some progress against the 49ers several weeks ago, certainly saw progress in the second half of the game against the Steelers prior to the injury this past uh, Sunday against the Ravens, there was a bit of regression, but that's life with, with a rookie quarterback. Um, I'm very optimistic that Justin Fields will be a very good quarterback for this team going forward. My question is, is whether or not George McCaskey as, as the, the man in charge for the ownership group is he willing to make the necessary changes? I do believe they're going to Arlington Heights, and I think it's the right decision, finally, to create an environment that takes care of your your fans and creates an environment where you could host a Super Bowl and you could bring in, a, 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 you know something that is similar to what they have in Minnesota at US Bank Arena or Jerry Jones is building the AT&T Stadium or or God forbid what they did out in Los Angeles was so fine. I mean, like this organization and this team and this fan base deserves something like that. And I think it's very possible that they can do that out in Arlington Heights. Again, though, to me, like, look, as I said, I love this organization, but what they have done over the past 20 years hasn't worked. Ted Phillips is a guy that I would never say you need to get rid of him from the organization, but maybe give him a different role. Ryan Pace has been in his role for seven years. They've not won a playoff game. Uh-huh. Matt's a really good guy. But in four seasons, they haven't won a playoff game. So to me, you need to change the entire structure of the football portion of this business. You need a new president. You need a new general manager. And you need a new coach. And, and again, I guess to answer your question, Sarah, the biggest question for me is, is George McCaskey, does he have the appetite for that type of change heading into the 2022 season?
2: Tom, where have we actually seen progression with Justin Fields this season to know that when you start with him in year two, you're not going to be starting from way behind the eight ball? Like, where have you watched, even though he's injured right now, where have you watched him improve the most since he started?
8: I think he's more decisive with all that he does. Again, you know, rookie quarterbacks are going to struggle at times. Um, I think it was a really difficult transition in some ways for him coming from Ohio State, where... In their offense, and you can look at, at the sack totals that he had at Ohio State, they, he's going to take a seven-step drop. They've got tremendous athletes on the edge. They're going to run like these slow-developing or time-consuming pattern combinations to develop, and he's going to deliver dimes down the field because like, his deep ball accuracy and his intermediate-to-deep mm-hmm. throws have always been very good. We've seen some of that. I think the struggle has been the ball's got to come out quicker in the NFL. What's open in the NFL is significantly different than what's open at the collegiate level. You've got to trust that that guy's open and he's going to make the contested catch. Uh, And I think that he's also had to learn that he doesn't have to please everyone from the pocket. If you drop back behind an offensive line that is sketchy at best and what has been designed and what is being asked for doesn't develop, tuck and run and use the asset that is his athletic ability – And I think if you look at the film over the last three weeks, you have seen a more decisive player where he does just that. They've done a better job at creating a a more secure pocket where he's had opportunities to push the ball down the field. But you see it now in his play that if if what he initially was looking for isn't there, he's going to make something out of nothing. He'll learn over the course of time when he can slide left and and slide right and do all the necessary things to – you know, to elevate his game. But I see a kid that is tremendously poised, isn't threatened by a lot of stuff, doesn't, doesn't have hangover effects. Like, they threw him down a flight of stairs against Cleveland in his first start with their game plan. And you right. saw him come out the next week and there was no residual effect at all. So, like, look, he, he's not in the same situation that Mac Jones is in. Mac Jones, I'm, I'm not diminishing Mac Jones as a player at all. I think he's a wonderful player. Mac Jones stepped into the best situation of all five mm-hmm. of the rookie quarterbacks. And yeah, I think he has some progress. You've seen, yeah. you've seen some inconsistency. He hasn't been perfect. He still needs to let go of the ball a little bit sooner, and he needs to trust what he sees and make some better decisions. But I think we've seen progress and very tangible and encouraging progress over the last three weeks. I, I feel good about his his future.
1: I agree. A lot of it is reads. The accuracy on the balls and yeah. the athleticism is really exciting, especially for a fan base that's been looking for that for a while. Hey, Tom, thanks for the insight. Get back to the, uh, the wine. I think we all need it around here.
8: Tara, yeah. <laughs> you know me all too well. Thank you. And you all have a great Thanksgiving.
1: It's too late for you not to have started already, especially after a date like today. Tom Waddle, former Bear. You can hear him on Waddle and Sylvie, ESPN 1000 in Chicago. Don't forget, you can also tune into That's What She Said, the podcast hosted by yours truly and fueled by Gatorade. We appreciate their continued support of women sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade's proven formula is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Had a super, super fun conversation with Kyle Brandt from Good Morning Football uh, this week, so make sure you check out the podcast. Coming up, we'll touch on those CFP rankings and answer our question that you answered for us about your weird local Thanksgiving foods. We'll get into it next.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, hanging out with you on a Tuesday, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80 Don't forget to tune into the ESPN Daily podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Coming up on Thanksgiving this week, and we've been asking you all week for some uh, different traditions, uh, whether or not you're willing to sacrifice the turkey, the bird, in favor of some other meats and dishes, which almost all of you, mostly uniformly, agreed that Turkey's overrated. Few of you rely on tradition to make the plates, uh, but I was asking about local traditions earlier in the show. I was reminiscing about the first time I went to Wisconsin with my husband and his family, served raw ground chuck hamburger meat on a plate with raw onions on top, couple slices of white bread nearby for what they call a cannibal sandwich or a wildcat sandwich. And I'm not alone in this. There were other Wisconsinites who chimed in to say that they are very familiar Um, and some other weird slash unique slash special, I guess is a word for it. Wisconsin treats, um, little news on Spain and Fitz nation at glass. Nichols hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed knows about the cannibal sandwich and said, mom always made green bean casserole with cheese curds in it as well. Now that's one I haven't heard Courtney. I've seen the green bean casserole with the Funyuns and the onions and the whatever on top cheese curds in it is a new one. I actually don't hate that
2: idea. Yeah. I mean, cheese curds. I really don't I Are they fried they're... cheese curds that are put mm-hmm. in there instead of the mm-hmm. onions I would assume, right? That would actually be pretty good. Or they're like buried and nestled amongst the beans? Yeah.
1: As long as they're not like soaked with the cream of mushroom. Would not. Yeah, as long as they're not soaked with that I don't do cream of mushroom at all. That's probably why that is one of my least favorite dishes, but I just found another dish that might replace it as one of my least favorite. At Jesus Life 12, Uh, Also hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. little news from Spain and Fitz Nation with Watergate Salad. Now, this person did not say what state this is in or where this is a local delight, but it is also called Pistachio Delight, Shut the Gate Salad, Green Goop, Green Goddess Salad, Green Fluff, or Green Stuff. It is a side dish or dessert made from pistachio pudding, canned pineapple, whipped cream, crushed pecans and marshmallows
2: are you here for it? i could i could probably get down with that it sounds better than the cranberry and pickle pie that you just retweeted into your twitter I did. feed which I is did. i'm gonna need
1: utah utah that. specialty yeah um, you know what though that i don't looks know heinous. sometimes when you know that's a that's a utah news service saying this is allegedly a utah thing have you had it which makes me think they're just looking for clicks if you're in utah and you need to ask if it's a Utah thing, have isn't you it? Probably it? not. Yeah. I I certainly have not. Cranberry and Pickle I Pie. Would, the photo is disastrous.
2: I would eat your pistachio pineapple and whipped cream. Because I think honestly you could mask the taste of anything mm-hmm. that's that you don't like with cool whip. It works for everything. Yeah, fair. You could probably it put it on your jello mold, uh, that I was talking about earlier in the show and make that even taste halfway decent. So anything that has whipped cream on it. I could get here for.
1: I I do think that uh, the people from Utah are are arguing that it is not theirs. They will not claim it. Uh, they are saying they have never heard of it or seen it. Please don't presume that this is ours. Uh, there are others uh, asking: Is weed legal there or something? Um, that that, <laughs> that might explain that that combination. Um, uh, you know, the the pickle thing out of control for some people. Um, also, some some saying they are formally. No longer one of the 50 states. Uh, This must have started as a prank Uh, today in a bridge too far. Uh, Lots of people reacting to the pickle pie that I posted. Um, Also, a couple other folks with some local dishes. DJ Dan Maui, fresh out of the ocean, raw sashimi, skip the turkey and go for this. In Hawaii, you can absolutely do that. Sammy G. San Diego. I appreciate these people having their location in their name. It's really helping us figure out where, where they are. Tamales with their Thanksgiving dinner. And Real Kyle Malley says pickled ham in Iowa. I've never heard of pickled ham. Uh, thanks for that all. I, I'm going to stick to the traditional stuff. None of those really. I could, do, I could do You know, sushi. I could do tamales. But I don't know that I need a pickle pie. And I definitely don't need raw meat. Uh, Courtney. You gonna you gonna get into anything weird? You have anything weird on your on your table, or you guys go straight traditional? Uh, always pretty traditional.
2: I don't okay. think That's good. That's good. I don't. I mean, but I do like the idea of doing some non traditional stuff. But you know, like a. I, See stuff on Instagram that looks really, really clever, like <laughs> miso something mashed potatoes, but that's a lot of work. And yeah, Thanksgiving is already a lot of work.
1: I don't want to yeah. mess with Thanksgiving
2: by taking risks. I want to stick with the I mean, stuff. as long as you have mac and cheese at your table. That's fair. That's we, fair. We, we, can, don't we can tell be Matthew. Judon. That's right. Seriously. It's Svein and Fitz,
1: Courtney Fitz, fillin- Courtney, Fitz Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz. He's doing college football playoff ranking show, digital show, um, which brings us back to the rankings. Number one, Georgia, number two, Ohio State number three Alabama, number four Cincinnati, five is Michigan, six Notre Dame. We will see Ohio State-Michigan this Saturday. That's going to shake some things up for sure. And Cincinnati in there, the first group of five team to crack the CFP top four in the eight-year history of the college football playoff. My biggest concern and fear, Courtney, because I hate the way the system really just benefits the, the power five, is if they got in and then they won out and still didn't make the top four. That would infuriate me.
2: I think having Houston still within the rankings, where they're at right now in the 20s, um, helps their case. And it makes the AAC championship game something to watch. But you've got to hope for Cincinnati, if they're going to stay in this thing, they've got to blow out ECU and they've got to beat Houston in the AAC championship game to get in. And a Georgia win
1: over Alabama would really help for sure. Uh, That would make things a lot easier, although some would argue that the committee would find a way to find a way to get Bam in, no matter how many losses. Uh, Ohio State jumping up to two with that blowout win. We'll see if they can take out another Michigan team this weekend, make it even more secure.
0: Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.